text this Lord's Day as we look at verses 13 through 24. Uh, If you've been with us the last few weeks in our study, you know that uh, we've been looking at how Paul is now uh, addressing the believers in Galatia. This was a town where he had shared the gospel, he planted a church, but after he moved on in his missionary journey, uh, others had come behind him who now were false teachers. Uh, They were the Judaizers, they were confusing these Gentile believers, Gentile Christians, the Galatians, in regards to what it meant to truly be a Christian. And so they were confusing the gospel of grace by adding works to it. Or another way of saying it is they were essentially telling these Gentile believers that in order to become a Christian, they had to become a Jew first. And so Paul is writing to really admonish the Galatians for believing a false gospel and correct this false belief. And in doing so, he's also countering some of the things the Judaizers had taught them. One of the things they had said was they accused Paul of not being an authentic apostle, and so he's defending his apostolic authority. And now as we move in this chapter, he comes to a point where he is sharing with the Galatians a reminder of how he personally came to faith in Jesus Christ. He's sharing his story of conversion. And so we're going to look at it this morning in hopes that we might better understand uh, the gospel that Paul was sharing, that we might better understand our own personal testimony, and that God might call us all to repentance and faith through His Word. So we're going to look at Galatians 1, 13 through 24. And now that you're comfortably seated, if you don't mind standing out of reverence for God's Word, uh, if you're able to, and uh, I will read this text for us. And this is what the Holy Spirit says through the Apostle Paul. This is God's Word. Paul writes, For you have heard of my former life in Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. And I was advancing in Judaism beyond many of my own age among my people. So extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But... When He who had set me apart before I was born, who had called me by His grace, was pleased to reveal His Son to me in order that I might preach Him among the Gentiles, I did not immediately consult with anyone. Nor did I go up to Jerusalem to those who were apostles before me, but I went away to Arabia and returned again to Damascus. Then after three years, I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas and remained with him fifteen days. But I saw none of the other apostles except James, the Lord's brother. And what I am writing to you before God, I do not lie. Then I went to the regions of Syria and Cilicia, and I was still unknown in person to the churches of Judea that are in Christ. They only were hearing it and said, He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. And they glorified God because of me. If you would pray with me, church. Father, we thank you for this testimony of the gospel of grace. And we pray, Lord, as we consider it this Lord's Day, that you might remind us of the gospel work you've done in our lives, that you might call us to repentance and faith, that that we too might proclaim the gospel of grace to others. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. Well, that hymn we sang just a few moments ago, Amazing Grace. Uh, Many of you are familiar with it. You know that it was written by 18th century uh, pastor, former slave trader John Newton. 
I've shared before about Newton's testimony about how as a young boy he, he heard the Gospel. He was taught the Scripture from his mother, but through a series of events and his own sin, he ended up in a, in a life of debauchery and wickedness and, and sin. But then there was that moment where God saved him and converted him. And he later recounted that in this hymn we just sang. About the amazing grace of God, the sweet sound of that grace to a wretch like him, the, the power of the gospel. And Newton spoke of that power often, not just in his hymns, but in his correspondence. In one letter to a friend, he described his own conversion this way He said, I, though long a ringleader in blasphemy and wickedness, was spared. And though banished into the wilds of Africa where I was the sport, yea, the pity of slaves, I was by a series of providences little less than miraculously recovered from that house of bondage and at length appointed to preach the faith I had long labored to destroy. That, that phrase would be one that Newton would use often. In fact, shortly before he died, he asked that it be written on his headstone which went on to say this, John Newton, once an infidel, was by the rich mercy of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, preserved, restored, pardoned, and appointed to preach the faith he had long labored to destroy. Were there a headstone at the grave of the Apostle Paul, I imagine it would read very much the same thing. And we see here Paul giving his testimony and recounting it, speaking of those who heard of his conversion, who did not know him personally, saying something very similar to what Newton wrote. There in verse 23, people were saying of Paul, he who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. It was very likely verses like this that Newton had in mind when when he penned that letter, when he asked that it be written on his headstone, verses like this that remind us today, friends, of the power of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. I fear that we live in a culture and a context, even in our church today, where, where we hear the Gospel so often repeated that it becomes like an announcement on a loudspeaker. It becomes to some background noise. It becomes almost like the, the commercial on TV that we just sit and endure and maybe sometimes we skip right over. And yet there is nothing to be skipped over about this Gospel. This is the Gospel that indeed changed the Apostle Paul's life. This is the Gospel that would change John Newton's life. This is the Gospel that has the power to change any life. And so today I want us to consider the power of the Gospel as we walk through this testimony that Paul shares. This testimony of faith and how his life was before he was converted, how he was converted to faith in Christ, and how his life was now post-conversion. And as we consider those three aspects of Paul's life, I want us to consider those three aspects of our own testimony. You see, every person who's a follower of Christ in this room today, you have a testimony. And I realize for many, when we hear testimonies like Paul's and we look at the book of Acts and all that took place and, and him seeing the Lord Jesus and, and just that miraculous way that God intervened in his life, I realize that at times we can look at our own testimonies as if they're a bit boring. As if they're not as marvelous as Paul's. But friends, I hope what you'll see as we walk through this passage is what Paul marveled at 
was the gospel of grace that was revealed to him. And if you're a follower of Christ today, that's the gospel of grace that was revealed to you. And that is the power of the gospel. It's not so much about your circumstances before faith. It is about what Christ does to convert us and call us and make us His own. And in that regard, our testimony is just as significant as Paul's. And what we should highlight about it is what Paul highlighted about his. That conversion experience through the gospel of grace that we walked through this morning. And so as we walk through Paul's testimony, as we consider ours, we'll begin with, with that first thing that Paul mentions. Point one there in your outline, and a question I want to present from it. Pre-conversion. Paul talks about his life pre-conversion. So the question here is, what was your life like before encountering the Gospel of Jesus? Well, when we speak of pre-conversion, the question is, well, what was your life like before you encountered the Gospel of Jesus. Well, Paul makes it very clear to us what his life was like. There in verses 13 and 14, he, he talks about how his pre-conversion life was centered on the law and on tradition and on persecuting the early church. In fact, the original language here in verse 13 shows us that the hostility with which Paul is speaking of his life pre-conversion that he had towards those in the faith. He says, you've heard of my former life of Judaism, how I persecuted the church of God violently and tried to destroy it. Now that word destroy in the Greek is a word you would use to describe an army coming in and just obliterating a city. Obliterating their enemy. Utterly annihilating any who stood in their way. And that's exactly how Paul felt about the early church. See, Paul was a a Pharisee of Pharisees. And he wanted to destroy the church because he saw the church of Christ as the enemy of his religious tradition. And you might think about the Gospels where you see the Pharisees so often standing there as, as obstacles to Jesus, as those who countered the Gospel of grace that Jesus would preach. And in fact, much of the interaction that we have in the New Testament comes as a result of the Pharisees having some accusation about Christ, accusation about the disciples, challenging Jesus, trying to catch Him and, and trick Him in His teachings. Because the Pharisees were threatened by this Gospel of grace. See, what the Pharisees had done over the years is they had taken the Old Testament law, the Old Covenant, and they had added to it all these stipulations, all these regulations, all these ways in which they might feel personally more and more righteous. And essentially, they had their check-off list. And if they did these things, they saw themselves as better and more righteous as those around them. This was their religious tradition. And oftentimes, they held higher their own man-made laws than they did even God's laws because in their eyes they saw them as being the same. They saw them as being rooted in the Old Covenant. And there you have Paul who was a Pharisee of Pharisees. He, he was chief among Pharisees. And so as you consider those interactions in the New Testament, you begin to get an idea of what the Apostle Paul was like. And with that then, you begin to understand how much he hated the Gospel of Jesus. The Gospel of Grace that this was a great challenge to everything he believed in. And so Paul was a very religious person. And as he describes his life pre-conversion, he's saying he stood on the religion of his fathers, on the religious tradition that they held. And according to that tradition, he wanted to, to be done with this new belief system. 
He wanted to crush this belief in Jesus, this gospel of grace. Paul's a good reminder to us of those who are sincerely devoted to their religion while being sincerely wrong. We live in a culture today where we feel like we need to be more accepting, especially of sincerity. And so I hear people all the time, especially Christians, say, well, well I know so-and-so, and I'll tell you, I've got to say this, they are, they're one of the most sincere people I know about their faith. I've had Christians say to me at times, well, I, you know, I just wish I was half as sincere about my faith as they are about theirs. I say, I wish you were half as sincere too. <laughs> Thank you for telling me that you need to repent. Well, we tend to look at people and their sincerity and we view sincerity as salvation. Friends, that's not gospel. Just because someone's sincere to their faith, they can still be sincerely wrong. They can be sincere about the wrong thing. Paul stands as a great example. Hey, here's Paul who's sincerely religious, sincerely devout, sincere to the faith of his fathers and the tradition that was handed down to him, and yet he is sincerely wrong. And in recounting his own testimony about what his life was like before he encountered the gospel of Jesus Christ, he makes it real clear to us. I was advancing in Judaism, verse 14, beyond many of my own age, according to among my people, so extremely zealous was I for the traditions of my fathers. But friends, that was not sufficient to save him. And it's not sufficient to save us either. Sincerity to the wrong thing does not save you. We need to hear the truth as revealed in the gospel of Jesus Christ. And apart from that gospel, there is no salvation. And so again, the question before us from the text is this. What was your life like before encountering the gospel of Jesus? Now let me mention a couple of things that come up when I ask this question that, call, that I think are cause for concern. One is this, often I'll ask people this question, you know, what was your life like before you came to faith in Christ, before you encountered the gospel, before you were born again, before you were saved, before you were redeemed? And oftentimes, especially in this community, in this part of the country, in this Bible Belt area, somebody will say something to me along these lines. Well, pastor, I've always been a Christian. I mean, I was born a Christian. My mom and dad, they, you know, grandparents, they started this church and charter members of this church. And as long as I can remember, I've always been a Christian. My friends, that, if that's your testimony this morning, hear me. It is a wonderful thing to be raised in a home that preaches the gospel. And if in saying that someone's just articulating, I was raised in a Christian home, I've always been taught the gospel, that's one thing. But if in saying that someone sincerely believes, I've always been a Christian because I was born a Christian, that is great cause for concern. Because according to the Scripture, no one is born a Christian. You have to be born again to become a Christian. And in fact, a popular phrase in our culture is that we're all God's children. And the Scripture says, no, we're not. The Scripture says we become God's children when we become born again. I'll give you an example. John chapter 1. 
Verse 12, but to all who did receive him, speaking of those who come to repentance and faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, they are born again in the faith, says to those who did receive him, who believed in his name. And so here we have Romans 10. If we believe that God raised Jesus from the dead, if we'll confess Christ as Lord, we'll be saved. So John 1, to all who did receive him, who believe in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. God, who were born not of blood, nor of the will of the flesh, nor of the will of man, but of God. Friends, I hope you see what that means. Nobody's going to get to heaven and get in because your mom and daddy had faith. Nobody's going to get to heaven and get in because when you were an infant, they baptized you in a church. And nobody's going to get in because of the will of man or or anything outside of the Gospel of Jesus Christ. We become a child of God when we repent and place faith in Christ as Lord. What was your life like before encountering the Gospel? If you don't understand that you encountered Christ, then you probably haven't encountered Him. And no one has always been a Christian. Another note of concern here to this question is when we talk about our life, before encountering the gospel, we need to be careful that we don't carry it away and tell everybody about our sin. <laughs> Some people you start talking to them about their testimony and, and in their eyes almost light up when they start talking about all the wickedness and sin and stuff they used to do. And then there can almost become this sort of competition for debauchery, you know. Well, I'll tell you what I did. Well, let me tell you what I did. Well, I did this. Well, I did this. Listen, Paul referred to himself as the chief of sinners. And it took him two sentences to tell us about his life before he encountered the gospel. <laughs> but we, we don't need to get into all the details about how wicked and how terrible we were. And especially, we need to be careful, we don't build those things up and boast about them. We're warned about this in the Scripture. 2 Corinthians 10.17 Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. And so as you consider this question, what was your life like before encountering the Gospel? Well, we have a picture here of Paul whose life was one of zealous religion. I think about my life before I encountered the Gospel of Jesus Christ when I was 17 years old. and I wasn't zealously religious. I just thought I was religious enough. I thought just a, a casual belief in God. I mean, I wasn't an atheist. I thought, well, you know, I'm, I'm an American and everybody in America is a Christian, aren't we? Just kind of this, this pseudo, yeah, I believe God's there and I haven't done anything too bad. And so I was counted among those that if you, you had asked me, you know, why should I go to heaven? I would have said something to you like, well, I've never killed anybody, you know. I'm not as bad as other people. I, I try. But I didn't know Christ. I was living for myself and I wasn't living for God. What about you? But what was your life like before encountering the gospel of Jesus? And then that takes us naturally into this second point, second question here where Paul shares about here in point two, conversion. And the question for us then related to conversion is this. How did you hear and respond to the gospel of Jesus. 
And so as we consider our own faith, we have this, this first stage. Okay, what was our life like pre-conversion? What, what were we trusting in for our salvation? And then next, how were we actually converted? How did we hear and respond to the Gospel of Jesus? Now notice Paul here, in a very short amount of time, tells us his conversion story. And it starts with one word, but. Verse 15, but. That's one of the most important words in the Scripture, especially when followed by the divine. But God. But when God. But God intervened. Paul, in using that word but, is saying that what changed my life radically was the intervention of God. That's what began his conversion experience. See, Paul was someone who had heard the Gospel of Jesus before. Paul didn't respond to the Gospel the first time he heard it. We know this. I don't know how many times he heard it, who he heard it from, but I know if you look at Acts chapter 7, he heard one of the clearest articulations of the Gospel taking us from the Old Testament all the way to the Messiah and to His life and ministry and crucifixion and resurrection. He heard one of the clearest articulations of the Gospel from the Scripture that anyone's ever heard. Because he was there as Stephen gave it and here's Stephen unpacking the Old Testament showing how all these things point to Jesus and the scripture tells us what about Paul there he was holding the cloaks of the men who stoned Stephen to death now we can mistakenly just kind of casually read that and think that Paul's just kind of a you know a bystander you know here you hold the coats but no this was a position of authority Paul stood as one who was overseeing this. Paul was standing as one who was approving of this. Paul was one whose mission was to destroy the church of Jesus Christ. And Paul, at least here in Acts chapter 7, clearly hears an articulation of the Gospel and does not respond in repentance and faith. But then he tells us as he writes the Galatians, verse 15, but, but then as he's on the road to Damascus, this is on his way to persecute more Christians, but God intervenes. It's an important word. We see it in John Newton's writings. I once was lost, but now am found. I once was blind, but now I see. How was Newton found? How could Newton see? Because God intervened in his life. What kept Paul from going to Damascus as one who persecuted the faith instead of eventually going to Damascus as one who preached the faith? What changed in his life? But God intervened. We see God's intervention. We also see verse 15, God's sovereignty. But, Paul writes, when he who had set me apart before I was born... (laughs) And just try to get your mind around that for a second. So, Paul's mother is rubbing her stomach and he's in the womb. And Paul is later writing under inspiration, back then, God had already set me apart. Paul, as he's standing there overseeing Stephen being beaten to death for his faith, 
Paul had already been set apart. God had a sovereign plan in Paul's life. And at the moment and time that he chose, he intervened in such a way that Paul came to repentance and faith. And friends, we see this sovereign hand of God throughout the Scripture. And the prophet Jeremiah says it this way in Jeremiah 1. He's, this is what the Lord says to Jeremiah. Before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you as a prophet to the nations. So, so Jeremiah didn't become a prophet because he went to career counseling one day and somebody said, you'd be a really good prophet, Jeremiah. He didn't take a spiritual gifts inventory at the temple and decide, you know, I've got the gift of prophecy. I think I'll be a prophet. The Scripture says that God consecrated him he he set him apart it says there in jeremiah 1 4 before he was even formed in the womb so before there was a jeremiah god knew there was a jeremiah and god set jeremiah apart because god's sovereign we see it with the prophet isaiah isaiah writes isaiah 49 1 the lord called me from the womb from the body of my mother he named my name friends this is consistent in the scripture it's what david says it's what we see in John the Baptist. John the Baptist is the first one to affirm Christ is Lord while he's still in his mother's womb. He's leaping and filled with the Holy Spirit. And we see this sovereign hand at work in their lives. We certainly see it here in Paul's life. It's a reminder to us, Paul didn't find Jesus. Jesus found Paul. It reminds us of the parable Jesus tells about the lost sheep. The lost sheep didn't find the shepherd. <laughs> the shepherd went after the lost sheep. And friends, it's the story of salvation for every one of us who are a follower of Jesus Christ. That God in His grace, He chose us. It's what we read in Ephesians chapter 1, verse 3. Paul writes, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places, even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world that we should be holy and blameless before Him. The Scripture clearly shows us not only God's intervention, but God's sovereign hand in our salvation and Paul also recounts God's gracious calling here in verse 15. He goes on to say about God, and who called me by His grace. This is what we call the, the effectual calling of God. This is very different than, than you and I calling someone or calling something. Because our calls aren't effectual. I mean, in call, God, when He calls, He calls for a response. And He gets one. When we call, maybe not. How many of you, every time you call your kids to dinner, they're at the table in 30 seconds? Anybody? I'm not saying I do. I'm just showing you what it looks like to raise a hand. Cause... Like, time for dinner. And what do you hear? I'm coming. And listen, I, I know how long it takes to get from the upstairs to the downstairs of my house. And it ain't 25 minutes. So sometimes I'm coming means I ain't coming, but if you call me ten more times, I'll eventually come. See, when we call, there's not always the effect that we desire. 
And so we call and we call and we call and we call. But God's calling is effectual. And in Paul's life, we see the fruit of this. Paul, uh, God calls Paul, who called me by His grace. And when He shows and reveals to Paul His grace, again, Paul had heard the Gospel, but in this scenario, God reveals it in such a way that it overwhelms Paul. And he responds to it. He was so overwhelmed, so full of grace, it invoked action. Friends, that's the same thing the Gospel does today. Again, we've, we, we've come a bit callous to it, I fear, sometimes. But let me tell you, when you have the experience of talking to someone about the Gospel who hasn't grown up hearing it, who isn't callous to it, it's an amazing thing to watch. And I'm not saying it's less amazing when God saves someone in, in Bloomfield who heard the Gospel a hundred times. Whenever God saves, it's an awesome thing to watch. But just seeing that light bulb come on in someone, whether they're here and they've heard it for the hundredth time, or whether they're in sub-Sahara Africa and they're hearing it for the first time. It's an amazing thing to see God reveal His grace in such a way that it calls someone to repentance and to faith. And we see it here in Paul's testimony. The fourth aspect of his conversion we see here, verse 16, is how God's glory is revealed through His Son. So, so Paul's testimony is clear here. He, he's converted because God intervenes according to God's sovereign plan. God, God effectually calls Him and now God reveals to Him His Son. It says in, God, in, Paul's own, excuse me, in the book of Acts where we read about Paul's testimony, we, we see how Paul encounters Christ. And he realizes then who Jesus is. This is what we read in Acts 9, but Paul, or excuse me, Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked for letters to the synagogues at Damascus so that if he found any belonging to the way, men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. So he's intent there in Acts chapter 9 to rid the world of Christians. But again, God intervenes. Now as he went on his way, he approached Damascus and suddenly a light from heaven shone around him and falling to the ground, he heard a voice saying, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, who are you, Lord? And he said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. And from that moment, from Acts 9, 5 forward, Paul would never be the same. Why? Because he encountered Christ. He came to understand who Jesus was and he was converted to faith in Jesus. That this pattern we see in Paul's life of God intervening, God working in His sovereign plan, God revealing His effectual calling is His grace, God showing us His glory through Jesus. That's, friends, that's the way we come to faith as well. And so again, the question for us today is how did you hear and respond to the Gospel of Jesus? Now, it's okay if you don't know that the day or the hour it happened. Some of you do. My wife, we've talked about this, she, she knows when she was nine years old at Forest Hills Baptist Church in Marshville, North Carolina and heard the Gospel clearly proclaimed in a church that she'd heard it in before. She, she can tell you the day that that happened and the day she came to faith in Christ. I can't tell you the day it happened in my life. I can tell you from a, from a moment I was at a party after I graduated from high school 
until the end of my first semester in college. Somewhere in that process, God just began to do this this work in my life, and I began to feel convicted over sin, and He put people in my life who just kept sharing the Gospel with me. And I can remember night after night sitting in my dorm room and just opening up this little Gospel tract and finding the prayer and just praying through it, hoping that it would just kind of click. And then at some point through that process in those months, God did a work in my life, and He changed me, and He saved as you consider that question, how did you hear and respond to the Gospel of Jesus? You might not be able to put your finger on a date, but, but certainly, friend, you should know in general when it took place. When you came to understand Romans 3.23 that, that we are all sinful. When you came to understand that you weren't good enough and that no one's good enough. Well, when you came to see the reality of Romans 6.23 that the wages of sin is death, that it's not just... Hitler and mass murderers who deserve hell. But but it's every single one of us because none is righteous, not even one, the Scripture says. And when you came to see just the the overwhelming grace of God, we read about in Romans 5.8 that He demonstrated His love towards you and me that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. And and where it clicked and you understood that substitutionary atonement that, that Christ died in your place on the cross and you came to see and hear and believe in the Gospel. You might not know the day or the hour, but if you've not had that experience, then friends, you don't have Christ today. And what you've got is what Paul at one time had. You've got a religious tradition. And maybe you're sincere to it. But friend, that is not salvation. Salvation comes through confessing Christ as Lord and believing in our heart that God raised Him from the dead. Can you remember hearing and responding to that truth? Point three. Paul speaks of his life post-conversion. Post-conversion, and the question here for us is this. How has the gospel of Jesus changed your life? And Paul goes on here in the rest of verse 16 through verse 22 to share about his first few years as a Christian. And, and there's lots of stuff we could delve into here. Basically what Paul is doing is he is, he is challenging those who have challenged his apostolic authority. And so remember the Judaizers were saying, Paul is preaching a man made gospel this is just something he heard from other people this isn't from the lord and so paul goes to great lengths here to say listen the gospel i heard was from jesus and the gospel i believed in was from jesus and i didn't go run into the apostles or anybody else i was taught and discipled by jesus and then paul shares that jesus changed his life and it wasn't just by paul's admission It was noticed by those around him. Verse 23. They only were hearing it. Meaning people didn't know him personally. They were hearing these things about it. And and the situation here is almost that Paul, as he's walking among these believers, he's hearing them talk about him and they don't even know who he is. But this is what they're saying. He who used to persecute us is now preaching the faith he once tried to destroy. Friends, God radically changed Paul's life. And that change was evident to everyone around him. Especially to Paul. (laughs) 
Paul would write often about this. For example, in 1 Timothy 1, he would write about how he was once a blasphemer, a persecutor, an insolent opponent of the gospel of grace. But, but, God changed his life to the point that he would write later here in Galatians 2.20, I have been crucified with Christ, and it's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And so Paul goes from saying, I want to crush those who follow Jesus, to saying, when you see me, I hope you just see Jesus. Friends, that's a changed life. And it results in God receiving the glory, verse 24. And they glorified God because of me. See, the gospel changes lives, and changed lives bring glory to God. And so again, the question this morning is this, how has the gospel changed your life? That there are measurable things that the Scripture points us towards here. It'll be a little while before we get to Galatians 5, but when we do, we'll talk about this because in Galatians 5, you have this call to walk by the Spirit. And Paul lays out for the Galatians this, this difference between walking by the flesh and walking by the Spirit. And I would encourage you to take some time this Lord's Day to read through Galatians 5 and consider this question. How has the Gospel of Jesus Christ changed your life? Because Paul lays out for us very clearly, does it look like this or does it look like this? And so, for example, on how it should look, Galatians 5, 23, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. And we'll look at this when we get there, but I'll point out now, he, he says the fruit of the Spirit, not the fruits. Sometimes we tend to look at this and say, well, you know, yeah, maybe I'm, I think I've become more patient. But he's not saying pick one. <laughs> Saying, listen, holistically, you should be more loving and joyful and peaceful and patient and kind and good and faithful and gentle and self-control because of the work of the Gospel. And if you're not seeing these things, then you need to go back to, do I understand the Gospel and am I living in light of the Gospel? Christians can certainly struggle with this, but if the fruit of the Spirit is never evident in your life, then the fruit reveals the root. And if the root of the Gospel is there, it's going to produce gospel fruit. It certainly did in Paul's life. It did in John Newton's life. And it did in a, a woman's life that we read about in John chapter 4. And I'll leave us with this. John 4, you know the story. Jesus and the woman at the well. Jesus encounters a woman, Samaritan woman, who is living an immoral life, going from relationship to relationship. And Chances are she'd gone to this well many times before. But, but God intervened. And then she comes to the well and here's Jesus. And then, then, then he begins to lay out for her God's sovereign plan, how God sovereignly knows about her life. As she says, oh, I have a husband. Well, no, you've got a lot of them. Let me tell you about it. And He starts recounting her sin essentially before her. And then he calls her in his grace. He starts helping her to see that, that he's presenting to her this, this gospel opportunity. He says to her in verse 13, everyone who drinks this water from, from this well is going to be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water that I will give him will never thirst again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. 
Well, what an illustration, what a picture. Think about our culture today and how thirsty people are. And how they're trying to quench that thirst with so many things. Material possessions, relationship, status. And Jesus says, I'll give you something, friend, and you will never thirst again. And then we see God just His effectual calling in her life and revealing His grace and just calling her to faith and repentance to the point that, that she begins to talk about, well, I know the Messiah is coming and He says, I, I who speak to you and He. So, so God reveals to her, this is Jesus. And her life is changed. And we know about the change because as we continue in John 4, we see how everywhere she goes, people start believing in Jesus. Verse 39, many Samaritans from that town believed in Him because of the woman's testimony. And friends, you and I have a testimony to share as well. If you're a follower of Christ, then you've been to the well and you know what it is to receive water through which you will never thirst again. You know the grace of God. You know the forgiveness of God. You know what it means to have that burden of sin lifted. Why would we not share that with a lost and dying and thirsty world around us? And friend, if you're thirsty this morning, boy, do I have a drink for you. (laughs) It's the Gospel of our Lord. And He's calling you today. And He's saying you don't ever need to thirst again. He's saying you lay down your pride and you lay down your works and you lay down your religion and you repent and you trust in Him and He will give you that which can never, never be snatched away or ruined or destroyed. He will fill your soul with the water of eternal life. And so we want to celebrate that. We want to offer that invitation as we worship today. And as we issue this gospel call, it's not a commercial, it's not background noise. It's the call of our Lord in your life, and He's inviting you to come. He's inviting you to repent. He's inviting you to trust in Him. So we're gonna, I'm going to pray for us, and we're going to sing. If you would, stand together as I pray for us as we go into this time of response. Father, I thank You for the power of the Gospel. Lord, I I am especially thankful uh, that it is not the power of man's preaching that saves. I I am thankful that it is Your words, not my words, that bring repentance, that bring confession of Christ as Lord. And so, I pray that Your Spirit would be at work. Lord, I pray for everyone here this morning. I pray for those who have yet to call Christ Lord, who've been holding on to a works righteousness, holding on to a religious tradition, holding on to their sin. God, that You would overwhelm them with the gospel of grace that they might repent and confess Jesus as Lord today. And Lord, I pray for others who have made that confession but are struggling this morning with with sin. They're struggling with issues. I, I pray, God, that they might cry out and repent, call on Christ as well. Lord, I thank You that You give us a water that quenches our thirst. I thank You, Lord, for the goodness of the Gospel, and I pray that we can celebrate that now as we sing and worship and respond. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.